Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I am your editor, producer, host, and all-around person who does... Thank you for listening. As always, the show is brought to you by bunnieslippers.com. I just have to say, the Highland Cow Slippers continue to keep my feet warm as I record. Oh man. Woo, baby. And hopefully in October, I'll be throwing a pair out into... Uh, some panel group at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Hopefully that's going on in October. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope everyone's staying clean. And when you're out and about, staying sterile. I don't know. Hey, just keep your brain going. Listen to some Oz. <coughs> I, I wonder what happens if, if uh, you sync uh, this podcast up with... Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, or who? Maybe if you uh, play the podcast while you watch Live at Pompeii. I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> um, I, I don't mean to laugh at my own jokes, but there's no one else here too. So yeah, um, hope you checked out and enjoyed David Heath talking about Wizard of Oz and pop culture. And coming up soon, we're going to have Ken Height talking about The Wizard of Oz. I should have done a special where I put them together, but I didn't think about that. Oh, man. I fell down some stairs the other day. I hurt my ankle and my wrist. It's... I'm, I'm finally getting this all out at the last minute, but yeah. So, hey, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this week. This is the final week of Oz. This is the fifth story of... Dorothy Gale? Yeah, Dorothy Gale. Okay, so... But there's a ton more Oz books out there. There is seriously an insane amount of Oz books. They kept writing them. Not just... Uh, like, um, kind of like the Oz... Kind of like the Oz Society approves fan fiction kind of stuff. It's a ton of stuff out there. I, I, I recommend checking out the artwork at least. It's, it's very cool, interesting stuff. And... Yeah, Wizard of Oz, it's fun, it's, I enjoy it, Hope, oh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and you've made it through the five books, I can't remember what next month is, but it's going to be fun, and also don't forget to check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, coming out on Tuesday of this week, and we're going to be talking about a certain region of France that Clark Ashton Smith wrote about, and what else can we think, yeah, no, remember to subscribe, listen, uh, tell your friends about it, and that's the best way you can help the show is rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else that podcasts are found because that's what's helpful. Here we go. Recording by Phil Chenevere. The Emerald City of Oz by Frank Elbaum, Chapter 1. How the Gnome King Became Angry the Gnome King was in an angry mood, and at such times he was very disagreeable. Everyone kept away from him, even his chief steward, Calico. Therefore the King stormed and raved all by himself, walking up and down in his jewel-studded cavern, and getting angrier all the time. Then he remembered that it was no fun being angry, unless he had someone to frighten and make miserable and he rushed to his big gong and made it clatter as loud as he could. In came the chief steward, trying not to show the Gnome King how frightened he was. "'Send the chief counselor here!' shouted the angry monarch. Calico ran out as fast as his spindle legs could carry his fat, round body, 
and soon the chief counselor entered the cavern. The king scowled and said to him, I'm in great trouble over the loss of my magic belt. Every little while I want to do something magical, and find I can't, because the belt is gone. That makes me angry, and when I'm angry, I can't have a good time. Now, what do you advise? Some people, said the chief counselor, enjoy getting angry. But not all the time, declared the king. To be angry once in a while is really good fun, because it makes others so miserable. But to be angry morning, noon, and night, as I am, grows monotonous, and prevents my gaining any other pleasure in life. Now, what do you advise? Why, if you are angry because you want to do magical things and can't, and if you don't want to get angry at all, my advice is not to want to do magical things. Hearing this, the king glared at his counselor with a furious expression and tugged at his own long white whiskers until he pulled them so hard that he yelled with pain. You are a fool! he exclaimed. I share that honor with your majesty, said the chief counselor. The king roared with rage and stamped his foot. Ho there, my guards, he cried. Ho is a royal way of saying, come here. So when the guards had hoed, the king said to them, Take this chief counselor and throw him away. Then the guards took the chief counselor and bound him with chains to prevent his struggling and threw him away. And the king paced up and down his cavern, more angry than before. Finally he rushed to his big gong and made it clatter like a fire alarm. Calico appeared again, trembling and white with fear. Fetch my pipe! yelled the king. Your pipe is already here, your majesty, replied Calico. Then get my tobacco, roared the king. The tobacco is in your pipe, your majesty, returned the steward. Then bring a live coal from the furnace, commanded the king. The tobacco is lighted, and your majesty is already smoking your pipe, answered the steward. Why, so I am, said the king, who had forgotten this fact. But you are very rude to remind me of it. I am a low-born, miserable villain, declared the chief steward humbly. The Nome King could think of nothing to say next. So he puffed away at his pipe and paced up and down the room. Finally he remembered how angry he was, and cried out, What do you mean, Calico, by being so contented, when your monarch is unhappy? What makes you unhappy? asked the steward. I've lost my magic belt. A little girl named Dorothy, who was here with Ozma of Oz, stole my belt and carried it away with her, said the king, grinding his teeth with rage. She captured it in a fair fight, Calico ventured to say. But I want it. I must have it. Half my power is gone with that belt, roared the king. You will have to go to the land of Oz to recover it. And your majesty can't get to the land of Oz in any possible way, said the steward, yawning because he had been on duty ninety-six hours and was sleeping. Why not? asked the king. Because there is a deadly desert all around that fairy country which no one is able to cross. You know that fact as well as I do, your majesty. Never mind the lost belt. You have plenty of power left. For you rule this underground kingdom like a tyrant, and thousands of gnomes obey your commands. 
I advise you to drink a glass of melted silver to quiet your nerves, and then go to bed. The king grabbed a big ruby and threw it at Calico's head. The steward ducked to escape the heavy jewel, which crashed against the door just over his left ear. Get out of my sight! Vanish! Go away! And send General Blug here! screamed the Nome King. Calico hastily withdrew, and the Nome King stamped up and down until the general of his armies appeared. This gnome was known far and wide as a terrible fighter and a cruel, desperate commander. He had fifty thousand gnome soldiers, all well drilled, who feared nothing but their stern master. Yet General Blug was a trifle uneasy when he arrived and saw how angry the gnome king was. Ha! So you're here! cried the king. So I am, said the general. March your army at once to the land of Oz, capture and destroy the Emerald City, and bring back to me my magic belt, roared the king. You're crazy, calmly remarked the general. What's that? What's that? What's that? And the Nome King danced around on his pointed toes. He was so enraged. You don't know what you're talking about, continued the general, seating himself upon a large cut diamond. I advise you to stand in a corner and count sixty before you speak again. By that time you may be more sensible. The king looked around for something to throw at General Blug, but as nothing was handy, he began to consider that perhaps the man was right and he had been talking foolishly. So he merely threw himself into his glittering throne and tipped his crown over his ear and curled his feet up under him and glared wickedly at Blug. In the first place, said the general, we cannot march across the deadly desert to the land of Oz, and if we could, the ruler of that country, Princess Ozma, has certain fairy powers that would render my army helpless. Had you not lost your magic belt, we might have some chance of defeating Ozma, but the belt is gone. I want it, screamed the king. I must have it. Well, then, uh, let us try in a sensible way to get it, replied the general. The belt was captured by a little girl named Dorothy, who lives in Kansas, in the United States of America. But she left it in the Emerald City with Ozma, declared the king. How do you know that? asked the general. One of my spies, who is a blackbird, flew over the desert to the land of Oz and saw the magic belt in Ozma's palace, replied the king with a groan. Now that gives me an idea, said General Blug thoughtfully. There are two ways to get to the land of Oz without traveling across the sandy desert. What are they? demanded the king eagerly. One way is over the desert through the air and the other way is under the desert through the earth. Hearing this, the Nome King uttered a yell of joy and leaped from his throne to resume his wild walk up and down the cavern. That's it, Blug, he shouted. That's the idea, General. I'm king of the underworld, and my subjects are all miners. I'll make a secret tunnel under the desert to the land of Oz. Yes, right up to the Emerald City, and you will march your armies there and capture the whole country. Softly, softly, your majesty, don't go too fast, 
warned the general. My gnomes are good fighters, but they are not strong enough to conquer the Emerald City. Are you sure? asked the king. Absolutely certain, your majesty. Then what am I to do? Give up the idea and mind your own business, advised the general. You have plenty to do trying to rule your underground kingdom. But I want the magic belt, and I'm going to have it, roared the gnome king. <laughs> I'd like to see you get it, replied the general, laughing maliciously. The king was by this time so exasperated that he picked up his scepter, which had a heavy ball made from a sapphire at the end of it, and threw it with all his force at General Blug. The sapphire hit the general upon his forehead and knocked him flat upon the ground, where he lay motionless. Then the king rang his gong and told his guards to drag out the general and throw him away, which they did. The Nome King was named Roquat the Red, and no one loved him. He was a bad man and a powerful monarch, and he had resolved to destroy the Land of Oz and its magnificent Emerald City, to enslave Princess Ozma and little Dorothy and all the Oz people, and recover his magic belt. This same belt had once enabled Roquat the Red to carry out many wicked plans, but that was before Ozma and her people marched to the underground cavern and captured it. The Nome King could not forgive Dorothy or Princess Ozma, and he had determined to be revenged upon them. But they, for their part, did not know they had so dangerous an enemy. Indeed, Ozma and Dorothy had both almost forgotten that such a person as the Nome King yet lived under the mountains of the Land of Ev, which lay just across the deadly desert to the south of the Land of Oz. An unsuspected enemy is doubly dangerous. End of Chapter One Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying Emerald City of Oz. And just a reminder, it really helps if you... You don't have to donate money, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go to wherever you find this show and just review it. Give it a couple of stars. Give it well, more than a couple of stars. I mean, at least three or four. And, you know, always say something... Not always. Jeez, I don't want to tell you what to do. But say something nice. I don't know. There's people who don't like the first three minutes and are, like, really mean about it. And, uh... Yeah, I don't know. It's not. Anyway, just just it helps the show and it gets me money for advertising, so I don't have to do this in the middle of the show. All right, thank you very much, and hope you enjoy the next fifteen to twenty minutes left of the show. All right, thank you. Have a good one. How Uncle Henry got into trouble. Dorothy Gale lived on a farm in Kansas with her aunt Em and her uncle Henry. It was not a big farm, nor a very good one, because sometimes the rain did not come when the crops needed it, and then everything withered and dried up. Once a cyclone had carried away Uncle Henry's house, so that he was obliged to build another, and as he was a poor man he had to mortgage his farm to get the money to pay for the new house. Then his health became bad, and he was too feeble to work. The doctor ordered him to take a sea voyage, and he went to Australia, and took Dorothy with him. That cost a lot of money, too. 
Uncle Henry grew poorer every year, and the crops raised on the farm only brought food for the family. Therefore, the mortgage could not be paid. At last, the banker who had loaned him the money said that if he did not pay on a certain day, his farm would be taken away from him. This worried Uncle Henry a good deal, for without the farm he would have no way to earn a living. He was a good man and worked in the field as hard as he could, and Aunt Em did all the housework with Dorothy's help. Yet they did not seem to get along. This little girl, Dorothy, was like dozens of little girls, you know. She was loving and usually sweet-tempered, and had a round, rosy face and earnest eyes. Life was a serious thing to Dorothy, and a wonderful thing, too, for she had encountered more strange adventures in her short life than many other girls of her age. Aunt Em once said she thought the fairies must have marked Dorothy at her birth, because she had wandered into strange places and had always been protected by some unseen power. As for Uncle Henry, he thought his little niece merely a dreamer, as her dead mother had been, for he could not quite believe all the curious stories Dorothy told him of the Land of Oz, which she had several times visited. He did not think that she tried to deceive her uncle and aunt, but he imagined that she had dreamed all those astonishing adventures, and that the dreams had been so real to her that she had come to believe them true. Whatever the explanation might be, it was certain that Dorothy had been absent from her Kansas home for several long periods, always disappearing unexpectedly, yet always coming back safe and sound, with amazing tales of where she had been and the unusual people she had met. Her uncle and aunt listened to her stories eagerly, and in spite of their doubts, began to feel that the little girl had gained a lot of experience and wisdom that were unaccountable in this age when fairies are supposed no longer to exist. Most of Dorothy's stories were about the land of Oz, with its beautiful Emerald City, and the lovely girl ruler named Ozma, who was the most faithful friend of the little Kansas girl. When Dorothy told about the riches of this fairy country, Uncle Henry would sigh, for he knew that a single one of the great emeralds that were so common there would pay all his debts and leave his farm free. But Dorothy never brought any jewels home with her, so their poverty became greater every year. When the banker told Uncle Henry that he must pay the money in thirty days or leave the farm, the poor man was in despair, as he knew he could not possibly get the money. So he told his wife, Aunt Em, of his trouble, and she first cried a little and then said that they must be brave and do the best they could, and go away somewhere and try to earn an honest living. But they were getting old and feeble, and she feared that they would not take care of Dorothy as well as they had formerly done. Probably the little girl would also be obliged to go to work. They did not tell their niece the sad news for several days, not wishing to make her unhappy, but one morning the little girl found Aunt Em softly crying while Uncle Henry tried to comfort her. Then Dorothy asked them to tell her what was the matter. "'We must give up the farm, my dear,' replied her uncle sadly, "'and wander away into the world to work for our living.' The girl listened quite seriously, 
for she had not known before how desperately poor they were. "'We don't mind for ourselves,' said her aunt, stroking the little girl's head tenderly. "'But we love you as if you were our own child, and we are heartbroken to think that you must also endure poverty and work for a living before you have grown big and strong.' "'What could I do to earn money?' asked Dorothy. "'You might do housework for someone, dear. You are so handy. Or perhaps you could be a nursemaid to little children. I'm sure I don't know exactly what you can do to earn money. But if your uncle and I are able to support you, we will do it willingly, and send you to school. We fear, though, that we shall have much trouble in earning a living for ourselves.' No one wants to employ old people who are broken down in health as we are. Dorothy smiled. Wouldn't it be funny, she said, for me to do housework in Kansas when I'm a princess in the land of Oz? A princess? They both exclaimed, astonished. Yes, Ozma made me a princess some time ago, and she has often begged me to come and live always in the Emerald City said the child. Her uncle and aunt looked at her in amazement. Then the man said, Do you suppose you could manage to return to your fairyland, my dear? Oh, yes, replied Dorothy. I could do that easily. How? asked Aunt Em. Ozma sees me every day at four o'clock in her magic picture. She can see me wherever I am, no matter what I am doing. And at that time, if I make a certain secret sign, she will send for me by means of the magic belt which I once captured from the Nome King. Then, in the wink of an eye, I shall be with Ozma in her palace. The elder people remained silent for some time after Dorothy had spoken. Finally, Aunt Em said, with another sigh of regret, If that is the case, Dorothy, perhaps you'd better go and live in the Emerald City. It will break our hearts to lose you from our lives, but you will be so much better off with your fairy friends that it seems wisest and best for you to go. I'm not so sure about that, remarked Uncle Henry, shaking his gray head doubtfully. These things all seem very real to Dorothy, I know, but I'm afraid our little girl won't find her fairyland just what she had dreamed it to be. It would make me very unhappy to think that she was wandering among strangers who might be unkind to her. Dorothy laughed merrily at this speech, and then she became very sober again, for she could see how all this trouble was worrying her aunt and uncle, and knew that unless she found a way to help them, their future lives would be quite miserable and unhappy. She knew that she could help them. She had thought of a way already. Yet she did not tell them at once what it was, because she must ask Ozma's consent before she would be able to carry out her plans. So she only said, If you will promise not to worry a bit about me, I'll go to the Land of Oz this very afternoon, and I'll make a promise, too, that you shall both see me again before the day comes when you must leave this farm. That day isn't far away now, her uncle sadly replied. I did not tell you of our trouble until I was obliged to, dear Dorothy, so the evil time is near at hand. But if you are quite sure your fairy friends will give you a home, it will be best for you to go to them, as your aunt says. That was why Dorothy went to her little room in the attic 
that afternoon, taking with her a small dog named Toto. The dog had curly black hair and big brown eyes, and loved Dorothy very dearly. The child had kissed her uncle and aunt affectionately before she went upstairs, and now she looked around her little room rather wistfully, gazing at the simple trinkets and worn calico and gingham dresses as if they were old friends. She was tempted at first to make a bundle of them, yet she knew very well that they would be of no use to her in her future life. She sat down upon a broken-backed chair, the only one the room contained, and, holding Toto in her arms, waited patiently until the clock struck four. Then she made the secret signal that had been agreed upon between her and Ozma. Uncle Henry and Aunt Em waited downstairs. They were uneasy and a good deal excited, for this is a practical humdrum world. And it seemed to them quite impossible that their little niece could vanish from her home and travel instantly to Fairyland. So they watched the stairs, which seemed to be the only way that Dorothy could get out of the farmhouse. And they watched them a long time. They heard the clock strike four, but there was no sound from above. Half past four came, and now they were too impatient to wait any longer. Softly they crept up the stairs to the door of the little girl's room. Dorothy, Dorothy! They called. There was no answer. They opened the door and looked in. The room was empty. End of Chapter Two. Chapter Three. How Ozma granted Dorothy's request. I suppose you have read so much about the magnificent Emerald City. That there is little need for me to describe it here. It is the capital city of the land of Oz, which is justly considered the most attractive and delightful fairyland in all the world. The Emerald City is built all of beautiful marbles, in which are set a profusion of emeralds, every one exquisitely cut and of very great size. There are other jewels used in the decorations inside the houses and palaces, such as rubies, diamonds, sapphires, amethysts, and turquoises. But in the streets and upon the outside of the buildings, only emeralds appear. From which circumstance, the place is named the Emerald City of Oz. It has nine thousand six hundred and fifty-four buildings. In which lived fifty-seven thousand three hundred and eighteen people up to the time my story opens. All the surrounding country, extending to the borders of the desert which enclosed it upon every side, was full of pretty and comfortable farmhouses, in which resided those inhabitants of Oz who preferred country to city life. Altogether, there were more than half a million people in the land of Oz. Although some of them, as you will soon learn, were not made of flesh and blood as we are, and every inhabitant of that favored country was happy and prosperous, no disease of any sort was ever known among the Ozites, and so no one ever died unless he met with an accident that prevented him from living. This happened very seldom indeed. There were no poor people in the land of Oz because there was no such thing as money. And all property of every sort belonged to the ruler. The people were her children, and she cared for them. Every person was given freely by his neighbors whatever he required for his use, 
which is as much as anyone may reasonably desire. Some tilled the lands and raised great crops of grain, which was divided equally among the entire population, so that all had enough. There were many tailors and dressmakers and shoemakers and the like, who made things that anyone who desired them might wear. Likewise, there were jewelers who made ornaments for the person which pleased and beautified the people, and these ornaments also were free to those who asked for them. Each man and woman, no matter what he or she produced for the good of the community, was supported by the neighbors with food and clothing and a house and furniture and ornaments and games. If by chance the supply ever ran short, more was taken from the great storehouses of the ruler, which were afterward filled up again when there was more of any article than the people needed. Everyone worked half the time and played half the time, and the people enjoyed the work as much as they did the play, because it is good to be occupied and to have something to do. There were no cruel overseers set to watch them, and no one to rebuke them or to find fault with them. So each one was proud to do all he could for his friends and neighbors, and was glad when they would accept the things he produced. You will know by what I have here told you that the land of Oz was a remarkable country. I do not suppose such an arrangement would be practical with us, but Dorothy assures me that it works finely with the Oz people. Oz being a fairy country, the people were, of course, fairy people, but that does not mean that all of them were very unlike the people of our own world. There were all sorts of queer characters among them, but not a single one who was evil, or who possessed a selfish or violent nature. They were peaceful, kind-hearted, loving, and merry, and every inhabitant adored the beautiful girl who ruled them, and delighted to obey her every command. In spite of all I have said in a general way, there were some parts of the land of Oz not quite so pleasant as the farming country and the Emerald City, which was its center. Far away in the south country, there lived in the mountains a band of strange people called Hammerheads, because they had no arms and used their flat heads to pound anyone who came near them. Their necks were like rubber, so that they could shoot out their heads to quite a distance, and afterward draw them back again to their shoulders. The hammerheads were called the wild people, but never harmed any but those who disturbed them in their mountains where they lived. In some of the dense forests there lived great beasts of every sort, yet these were for the most part harmless and even sociable, and conversed agreeably with those who visited their haunts. The Kalidas, beasts with bodies like bears and heads like tigers, had once been fierce and bloodthirsty, but even they were now nearly all tamed, although at times one or another of them would get cross and disagreeable. Not so tame were the fighting trees, which had a forest of their own. If anyone approached them, these curious trees would bend down their branches, twine them around the intruders, and hurl them away. But these unpleasant things existed only in a few remote parts of the land of Oz. I suppose every country has some drawbacks, so even this almost perfect fairyland could not be quite perfect. Once 
There had been wicked witches in the land, too, but now these had all been destroyed, so, as I said, only peace and happiness reigned in Oz. For some time Ozma had ruled over this fair country, and never was ruler more popular or beloved. She is said to be the most beautiful girl the world has ever known, and her heart and mind are as lovely as her person. Dorothy Gale had several times visited the Emerald City and experienced adventures in the land of Oz, so that she and Ozma had now become firm friends. The girl ruler had even made Dorothy a princess of Oz, and had often implored her to come to Ozma's stately palace and live there always. But Dorothy had been loyal to her Aunt Em and Uncle Henry, who had cared for her since she was a baby, and she had refused to leave them because she knew they would be lonely without her. However, Dorothy now realized that things were going to be different with her uncle and aunt from this time forth, so after giving the matter deep thought, she decided to ask Ozma to grant her a very great favor. A few seconds after she had made the secret signal in her little bedchamber, the Kansas girl was seated in a lovely room in Ozma's palace in the Emerald City of Oz. When the first loving kisses and embraces had been exchanged, the fair ruler inquired, "'What is the matter, dear?' I know something unpleasant has happened to you, for your face was very sober when I saw it in my magic picture, and whenever you signal me to transport you to this safe place where you are always welcome, I know you are in danger or in trouble. Dorothy sighed. This time, Ozma, it isn't I, she replied, but it's worse, I guess, for Uncle Henry and Aunt Em are in a heap of trouble and there seems no way to get them out of it. Anyhow, not while they live in Kansas. Tell me about it, Dorothy, said Ozma with ready sympathy. Well, you see, Uncle Henry is poor, for the farm in Kansas doesn't mount much as farms go. So one day Uncle Henry borrowed some money and wrote a letter saying that if he didn't pay the money back, they could take his farm for pay. Of course, he expected to pay by making money from the farm, but he just couldn't. And so they're going to take the farm, and Uncle Henry and Aunt Em won't have any place to live. They're pretty old to do much hard work, Ozma, so I'll have to work for them, unless— Ozma had been thoughtful during the story, but now she smiled and pressed her little friend's hand. Unless what, dear? she asked. Dorothy hesitated, because her request meant so much to them all. Well, said she— I'd like to live here in the land of Oz, where you've often invited me to live, but I can't, you know, unless Uncle Henry and Aunt Em could live here, too. Of course not, exclaimed the ruler of Oz, laughing gaily. So in order to get you, little friend, we must invite your uncle and aunt to live in Oz also. Oh, will you, Ozma? cried Dorothy, clasping her chubby little hands eagerly. Will you bring them here with the magic belt, and give them a nice little farm in the Munchkin country, or the Winky country, or some other place? To be sure, answered Ozma, full of joy at the chance to please her little friend. I have long been thinking of this very thing, Dorothy dear. 
and often I have had it in my mind to propose it to you. I am sure your uncle and aunt must be good and worthy people, or you would not love them so much. And for your friends, princess, there is always room in the land of Oz. Dorothy was delighted, yet not altogether surprised, for she had clung to the hope that Ozma would be kind enough to grant her request. When indeed had her powerful and faithful friend refused her anything? But you must not call me princess, she said, for after this I shall live on the little farm with Uncle Henry and Aunt Em, and princesses ought not to live on farms. Princess Dorothy will not, replied Ozma with her sweet smile. You are going to live in your own rooms in this palace and be my constant companion. But Uncle Henry, began Dorothy. Oh, he is old and has worked enough in his lifetime, interrupted the girl ruler. So we must find a place for your uncle and aunt where they will be comfortable and happy and need not work more than they care to. When shall we transport them here, Dorothy? I promised to go and see them again before they were turned out of the farmhouse, answered Dorothy. So perhaps next Saturday? But why wait so long? asked Ozma. And why make the journey back to Kansas again? Let us surprise them and bring them here without any warning. I'm not sure that they believe in the land of Oz, said Dorothy, though I've told them about it lots of times. They'll believe when they see it, declared Ozma. And if they are told they are to make a magical journey to see our fairyland, it may make them nervous. I think the best way will be to use the magic belt without warning them, and when they have arrived you can explain to them whatever they do not understand. Perhaps that's best, decided Dorothy. There isn't much use in their staying at the farm until they are put out, cause it's much nicer here. Then tomorrow morning they shall come here, said Princess Ozma. I will order Jellia Jam, who is the palace housekeeper, to have rooms all prepared for them, and after breakfast we will get the magic belt, and by its aid transport your uncle and aunt to the Emerald City. Thank you, Ozma, cried Dorothy, kissing her friend gratefully. And now, Ozma proposed, let us take a walk in the gardens before we dress for dinner. Come, Dorothy, dear. End of chapter 3